Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Today I'm going to share with you a message called Elijah, hearing God in the sound of sheer silence. Hearing God in the sound of sheer silence. <clears throat> this is a message I gave uh, a number of years ago at New Life Fellowship Church, a study of which changed my life, changed the trajectory of my relationship with Jesus, and I pray it does the same for you. But first, let me make a few comments about it before I uh, release you to hear the rest of this sermon. Now, I'd read about silence and stillness uh, and monasticism and all that whole tradition going back to Moses, John the Baptist, Elijah the prophet, Jesus in the wilderness, all through history for years. But I didn't do it. Uh, I just preached it and talked about it. But it wasn't until 2003, as many of you know, I had my immersion into it, that the scripture came alive to me about being still before the Lord and all that. And, and so my passion for this message is to get you started, to get you moving uh, into your own journey or deeper in your own journey of silence and stillness. Uh, in the Emotionally Other Leader book, I talk about uh, Benjamin Bloom's uh, levels of learning. He's a great educational theorist. And uh, I, I did a little you know, what's it called, an adaptation of his uh, theory that's used around the world in education about how we learn things and levels of learning. And so there's five levels of learning. He notes, one, you become aware of something new like silence. Oh, this is really good and I should be part of my Christian life. Secondly, he talks about we ponder it, we read about it, we hear about it in podcasts. Thirdly, we value it and say, this is super important. Every Christian should have silence in their life. But he says that the biggest gap is between level three, where I value something, and level four, where I actually rearrange my whole life or reprioritize my whole church, around, my whole life around that value. Uh, we, that's he calls level four learning. Few people get to that in most of our learning. And then level five is we own it. It's so much a part of us. We breathe it in every area. We don't even think about it anymore. And so in silence, I was aware of it. I pondered it. I valued it. But I didn't actually reprioritize and change my whole life around it. And I surely didn't own it where I was living it, you know, daily in every circumstance, making sure that I had a degree of silence and stillness in my days. And so my prayer and hope is to move some of you over that behavioral gap to you actually start to do. Because there's some things you have to do to understand. It's like you can teach about Bible study, you can teach about prayer, but until a person starts reading the Bible and praying, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, the same way, I've got to move you into silence to get you started with it. Then things begin to make sense. So here's four big reasons why you want to heed this message and prayerfully take a few steps with it. Number one is it's in scripture that we be silent and still before God. I mean, Habakkuk 2.20 alone says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Again, this is a command, not simply a, a suggestion. And one of my favorite verses in scripture is Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. We all know the verse, be still and know that I am God from the Psalms. And so the reaction against these, against the, the ignoring of these commands in scripture, which are found uh, you know, in scripture, uh, when the Protestant Reformation just shut down monasteries and again, the whole political backdrop of, of what was happening in those days with political power, but also the abuse that was happening in the monasteries uh, ended up becoming, that was not a value as part of our, our Protestant stream. 
And, uh, and so what I'm trying to do is recapture a thread of scripture that's very clear and surely a thread of our church history genogram that has been part of the church for 2,000 years and bringing it back into your life, my life, our stream. So let me encourage you to pick up uh, a free ebook from our website uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash churchhistory. Uh, emotionallyhealthy.org slash churchhistory. It's called Church History Matters to a Discipleship That Deeply Changes Lives. And I give a little cursory view of church history and how this got lost through church history and why it's so important that we capture. It's a great ebook worth your time. And actually, in the Leaders Vault on our website, there are also a number of resources on the daily office, silence, stillness, and solitude. I want to encourage you to pick them up in videos on our YouTube page, etc. The second big reason this is so important is because when you begin to incorporate silence and stillness increasingly in your relationship with Jesus, it's a shift. It's a massive shift for, for, for people to go from a one-way relationship with God to a two-way relationship with God, where it's not just me talking to God. I'm actually listening. I'm in communion. I'm being, I'm shutting up. Uh, it's a, now more of a two-way relationship versus one-way. Uh, I found that so much of my prayer life was basically asking God to do my will. Uh, and it wasn't as nearly as much listening or surrendering my will to his will or, 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 or being in a place where my will could be exposed for its self-willness versus surrender of my will to his will. Silence and stillness brought me to an entirely new place uh, into a, a two-way relationship with God. And I find as we bring uh, the Emotionally Healthy Relationship Discipleship course to churches, uh, and I've watched in our own church over the years, it is a massive shift for people. Once they begin doing silence and stillness before the Lord, uh, they move much in a much deeper two-way relationship versus one-way relationship. A third very important reason why silence and stillness is so critical is because it's, we, we experience love and grace on a whole new level, a whole deeper level. It, and then finally, fourthly, it just, it's so transformative. Layers of our false self are peeled off us in ways that can be peeled off in no other way. So let me invite you to enjoy this message on Elijah hearing God in the sound of sheer silence. And the way it changed his life, may it change yours, may it change mine, may it change the church for the mission God's given us to bring Jesus to the world uh, in our generation. So God bless you. Enjoy this message on Elijah. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you. 1 Kings 19, verses 11 to 13. I will begin at the end of verse 8 and go a little bit further. Strengthened by that food, Elijah, run uh, the series on Elijah, he traveled 40 days and nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the nights. And the word of the Lord came to him. Where, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now I'm in verse 10. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, 
When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nishri, son of Israel, king of Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat. And then jumping down to verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that Elijah was a man just like us. He knew the highs of life. He knew the lows. He knew depression. He knew suicide. He knew despair. And yet, Father, you met him and revealed yourself to him, and you worked with him just like you work with us. And you seek to draw us to yourself and set us free that we might be a blessing to those around us, that we might be men and women who speak for you, represent you, Lord, who speak and live powerfully in the middle of our culture. So I pray, God, we might meet you today in Elijah's life as you met him. We offer you our time, moved by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now our theme again, we're in part three, and next week is part four, and called The Power of a Hidden Life on the life of Elijah. And really it's about silence and, and solitude. And um, we've been looking at his life and, and we spent the last two weeks, we, we, at the end of the service, we did a, the discipline of, we took five minutes and we were silent and we experienced solitude in this room. And we're going to do it again today. And we're gonna exercise that discipline and lots of good has come out of it. And, and because I'm, and I'm utterly convinced that just like Henry Nouwen once said, that without silence and solitude, it's utterly impossible or virtually impossible to grow and mature in the Christian life. That this has got to be a part, it's not the whole Christian life, but it's a piece and a part of maturing as a Christian that's been historically foundational uh, throughout the world in believers seeking to follow Jesus. But in our Western culture, it is so radical. It's so far from our world and our environment. We've got inner voices that distract us, voices that say, you better do something and be productive and you better be successful and you better make enough money, you better have people be impressed with you, you better perform. And these, these distractions just, just pull us to find our security and our comfort outside of God. And then we've got these external voices that are just constantly coming at us and screaming at us. And I read a review just past week of, of, a, of a book uh, by a fellow named David Walsh, selling out America's children, how America puts profits before, before values and what parents can do. And, and uh, it, it's very interesting because it talked about our children, that children uh, watch between about four and a half hours of television, computers, video games a day. And uh, pretty much all studies are somewhere between four and a half hours and five hours. And uh, here's, he says, are, are the six values that dominate the media. And he made a very interesting point that that in 1983, there were 50 corporations that controlled uh, the media. By media, it means everything from you know, television, radio, newspapers, uh, computers. There was, there was um, over 50. Now, there is only six. And that these six control so much power of what's coming at us day and night, especially our children. 
And so here's the messages or values that come through the media to our children and to us as adults. One is happiness is found in having things. Buy. Number two, get all you can for yourself. Three, get it all as quickly as you can. Number four, win at all costs. Number five, violence is entertaining. And then number six, always seek pleasure and avoid boredom. And I think as your reaction, as some folks said after first service, that was a devastating list because it's so true to our own lives. And so here we are, we're talking about these radical Christian disciplines of silence and solitude that go totally in the face of all this. And of course, they go against our own internal struggles. And, and I do agree with Dallas Willard, many of you know the name, he's a great professor at Fuller Seminary, and, and uh, he called silence and solitude the most radical Christian disciplines for those of us living in the West. They're, they're very difficult for many of us, very uncomfortable, and, uh, uh, and so I've been encouraging you and trying to walk you by the hand as we do it here for five minutes to actually try it every day, to actually find a place of silence and solitude and actually do what we're doing here at church each day. And a number of you are doing it, have had great success, others are struggling, but have enjoyed it. And, uh, but I wanna encourage you, if you were not here the last two weeks, it's vacation, there's lots of movement, people around, get those two tapes as we're looking at Elijah because Elijah's life has always been a hero for those who have gone to the desert and uh, sought God out in silence and solitude because his life was constantly in the desert, out of the desert, in the desert, out of the desert. And uh, out of that, he emerged a, a tremendous uh, person who uh, God used. So here's where we're going in, in, in our, uh, today in this little series. Now, Elijah, remember last week, he was depressed. In fact, he was so depressed after his great victory on Mount Carmel in chapter 18, uh, he wanted to die. He wanted to commit suicide. And, and uh, I think many of us know what that's like. You just want to die. As I can't take it anymore. The queen Jezebel has declared basically the true prophets of God and worship of Yahweh is out. Baal is in. And so she's after now Elijah to kill him. And he's running for his life and he's exhausted. He's wiped out. And again, at the beginning of chapter 19, we talked about it last week, about depression, about exhaustion. And uh, God takes care of him. I like to say God provides for him a bed and breakfast. You know, God and sends an angel to feed him and to basically touch him and has him take a nap twice to just rest. And basically out of that, he emerges. He gets enough strength from God. And we pick it up here now in verse eight. And he gets up and he travels 40 days to Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb is a very famous place in the Bible. It's a place where Israel encountered God when they needed him most. Mount Horeb is the place where God gave the Ten Commandments. Mount Horeb is the place where Moses met God in the burning bush. Mount Horeb is the place when, when uh, Moses said, show me your glory, and God said, I'll pass you by. So it was very famous in Israel's history. So Elijah says, I'm burnt out, I'm depressed, but I'm hungry for God. And he travels four days to get to this mountain, basically saying, if I get to Mount Horeb, you know what? If any place I'm gonna meet God, it's gonna be in that place. And so he gets there and uh, his hunger for God and he leaves people again and he enters silence and he enters solitude. And so we've been talking about, you know, these two radical disciplines. Solitude is the practice of being absent from other people and things to be attentive to God. 
Now again, as someone said, but I'm at my computer, it's very quiet at the computer. No, 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 no. Because that's not in order to be attentive to God. The point is, I get away from people and things somehow, whether it's a closet, whether it's a room in your basement, I have a little chair, you know, in a little room, that's my solitude place, and, or my backyard with a little chair in, in front of a tree, but the purpose is to be attentive, to wait on God. And then silence is the practice of quieting every inner and outer voice to be attentive to God. And it's trying to quiet that. Now, it's a practice, which means it's a discipline. There's lots of Christian disciplines. Some of you are musicians, or you've played soccer, or baseball, basketball, and you know what it's like. If you get, you've got to practice certain disciplines to grow as an athlete or musician. In the same way, this is hard at first. You're not used to it. You're, 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 you've been shaped to not do this. But part of being a follower of Jesus that I somehow, like Elijah, I find that place of silence and solitude, and I grow in this discipline of silence and solitude. But make no mistake about it, these are radical for our culture. Now, the desert, I want you to think of this image of the desert, because Elijah and the desert go together, just like John the Baptist was a man of the desert. Then he came out. Elijah is constantly spending time in the desert. And it's a powerful metaphor, not just in Moses' life and Elijah's life and John the Baptist's life. It's a powerful metaphor in church history as well. And uh, it's, it's a metaphor for a place I go to to meet God. And that my goal is that I carry this in my interior, in my heart, this desert life that as I go out to be with people, I am in a sense living in the desert still but I've got my place in the desert, then I've got my activity. And so I like to, again, here's my, my, my famous chart, which I've adapted a little bit. Here's most of our lives. We have a little bit of silence and solitude, a little bit of desert in our life, but we've got a lot of engagement with the world, activity. And our lives are out of whack because we're stressed. We can't quite find the balance of desert, time in silence, solitude to get centered, to get cleansed, and then I go out and I engage the world. And most of us live our lives, I think, like this. And we struggle because it's just we, just, we don't have enough Christ in us as we're entering life. And it's just a big mess and we're all distorted. And what we're trying to get at here in this series, and really where I'm trying to bring our church, not just you individually, but new life as a whole, that is that we, we each find our balance because God's call is going to be different for each one of us. That how much desert do you need of silence, solitude, and contemplation so that as you engage the world, there's a balance? And it's going to be different for each one of us. We can't put a yoke on anybody. And so I'm suggesting that you try just five minutes a day. You know, just begin to get in the desert for five minutes and try it. And again, for me, I need basically, I need, when I do daily offices and I do a few each day, three or four, I need time. I need sometimes five to 20 minutes to just get quiet, to be still before God so that when I'm reading the scriptures, my mind's on it. And I'm not thinking about, oh, oh, I got to go buy that lettuce that Jerry asked me to buy. And oh yeah, oh yeah, the car, I got to get that oil changed, you know, and my mind's just flying to get me quieted down. So I don't know what it is for you, you know, but for some of us, it's a lot more time, others it's less, but it's trying to find that balance so that your life in God has a peace, a a clarity to it. It's got the Elijah component that you move out to engage the world, but you actually move out true and pure and clean and powerful because you've been centered in God. And that's the great gift of Elijah, you know, to us. So 
In fact, I like, there's a, there's a famous woman in church history named Catherine Doherty. I don't, some of you may know the name. She was a Russian woman that came here in the early 1900s, uh, and she's the founder of what's called the Madonna Houses. Now, the eastern part of the church, by eastern part, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Russia, has a tradition of the desert very much in their theology and in their practices. And uh, so it wasn't uncommon, for example, in, uh, in Russia, uh, to this day, especially ancient Russia, that they would have uh, a desert, they call it a pustinia, is the Russian word for desert. They would have pustinias outside of a village, which would be kind of like a cabin where maybe a hermit would live or people would go to be with God. She came to America and established in inner cities, and actually in, in Canada as well, uh, that there, there was one in Harlem, actually, called uh, Madonna houses, but she would create pustinias, kind of like a, 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 a basement room, a place where people would go to meet with God. It's like us setting apart part of our basement and saying we've got a pustinia down here, that when you want to go to a desert, there's a place here at New Life Fellowship, you go down there and meet with God to be in silence and solitude. And she would have people actually commit themselves, you know, for life to be part of this community. They would spend three days in the pustinia in the desert, then they'd spend four days among the poor serving. But she required that balance of three days alone, four days active, to have balance to serve in some of the most difficult places in North America, inner cities. It's just interesting. But I, that word pustinia, we have a few Russians floating around, I, I'm praying is going to become part of our vocabulary. Ah, I got to get to the pustinia. And that you're going to say, I've got to find a pustinia in my house or in my workplace. It may be Starbucks or the library or again, just a chair or a room somewhere that you know you can go to to get to God. So I can come back and engage the world in a mature way. Now, of course, we don't have a literal desert. We're in New York City here. You know, he was in the desert going in and out. But he goes now to Mount Horeb. And if you look at a map in your back of your Bible, it's surrounded by deserts. I mean, he has now gone deep in the desert to meet with God. And um, God shows up and says, Elijah, verse 9, what are you doing here? Ever happened to you? You go to be with God, and it's like, what are you doing here? And you say, I have no idea. Pastor Pete said I should show up, and that maybe I'd meet you here. But I don't feel anything. I don't know what's going on. But Elijah, what's interesting, he responds to God in verse 10. And he's not suicidal anymore because he's gotten enough strength from being alone with God that he's able to get up. But he's angry. He's lonely, he's burnt out, he's still disillusioned. His fate's at an all-time low. He's thinking about all of his losses. He feels like he's all alone. He's complaining, oh God, I love it. He says, you know, God, I, I've been very zealous. You know, God, you ever say this? I've been working for you. I've been faithful to you and you've not come through. In fact, God, those Israelites, they, they've broken down your altar, they've killed the prophets. And the truth is the Israelites had not done that. It was Jezebel. In fact, they've just repented and turned around, but he can't see it. He's so distorted. You ever got that you're blaming everybody? It's all their fault. I'm the only Christian zealous for you left God. He's just in a bad place, nasty, upset. And um, I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. I'm all alone. Poor me. So God responds in verse 11. Which, now, if I was God, I'd slap him around. Get a life. These are lights have just repented, and you're like, you're complaining about them, and you got things all twisted up here. You know, I just fed you a bed and breakfast. I just gave you some rest, and you're complaining, and you're, and you're, you're, you're self-centered, and here you are. You're the only Christian in the whole country. And, uh, but God doesn't, God doesn't slap him around. And God doesn't give him a sermon. Now, listen, I'm good. Trust me. You know, and 
Don't you know the miracles I've done? He doesn't do that either. What God does is, listen, Elijah, I want you to come outside this cave and I want you to stand outside. Look at verse 11. It goes, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Now, here's our theme for the day. God says, I want you to wait outside. The way I'm going to deal with your distorted perspective, your, your burned out attitude, uh, your negative view of other people and your blaming behavior, I'm going to meet you because I got something for you. Now, the beautiful thing is God's already met him. But now God's going to meet him again and take him forward. So here's our two, really, two, two points I want to make here in this text. Okay, the first one is this, that God comes to us in the sound of sheer silence. Now, I want you to look at verse 12. He goes outside to wait for God. It's like he gets in silence and solitude. He goes, here I am. And so, bam, the first thing that happens is, it says a powerful wind comes, a great and powerful wind. It's a hurricane. So great. Could you imagine that wind is so great, it tears open the mountain and shatters the rocks. Now, what would you do? I said, I'm getting out of here. God's showing up. But it says, this wind comes, shatters the rocks, but it says, God is not in the wind. Then an earthquake comes. Now, I've never, any of you been in an earthquake? Some of you folks have. You know, I've been in a few tremors, you know. But an earthquake comes, but God's not in the earthquake. And then fire comes. And God's not in the fire. Now, what's interesting is that that wind, powerful winds, God did come in powerful winds many times. He came to Job that way. He came at Pentecost that way with a powerful wind. And God comes in earthquakes. Mount Sinai, God came in an earthquake. The people were so afraid, like, oh, you know, the Lord is here, you know. And and they feared the Lord. And God comes in fire sometimes, like he did at Moses at the burning bush. And he came to Abraham in a fire. And he came at Pentecost in fire. So, So God is... God comes that way sometimes, and, and especially in the past. And that's what Elijah's used to. In fact, in chapter 18, God comes in fire in, into uh, Mount Carmel and destroys those false prophets and all that stuff and, and the bull on the, on the altar. So, but now it's like it's a new day. And God's in none of those things he's used to. The past is over. And now here's the key. The key verse that's mistranslated here is, and, about, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. Now, Literally, that word for gentle whisper, it's a bad translation. It's a, the reason it's translated a gentle whisper in the, it's the King James Version, and we've always heard it like that, is because it's almost impossible to translate. Uh, because literally what it says in Hebrew is it's a sound of sheer silence. Well, I mean, how do you have a sound of sheer silence? I mean, how do you translate that? It, it doesn't, it's impiah, it's oxymoron. That's a nice word. Big word, Nelson. Excellent. All right. It's a sound of sheer silence. And, 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 and then it says in the next verse that he hears the sound. So I mean, how do you hear the silence? And again, that's why translators have tried to like, they, they argue and they write articles about it in scholarly journals about how do we translate this and what do we do in these Hebrew words. But literally, that's it. God comes in a sound of sheer silence. So when we say a still small voice, it really doesn't convey what it's saying. So, so underline that, that verse. Yet somehow Elijah is able to hear something. It's kind of like after a great thunderstorm, and then there's like this calm, you know, eerie silence afterwards. And there's been all this chaos and, and earthquakes and hurricane wind and fire. And, and then there's a stillness. And it's in this stillness, God, uh, Elijah hears, it says, he says he heard it. He pulls his cloak over his face. And, and he, he, he recognizes this is holy ground, and he waits on God. Now, 
This is so different than my background. I mean, when I became a Christian, I became a Christian in a uh, Pentecostal church, Assemblies of God. And uh, if there wasn't a, a prophecy or a tongue every service, God wasn't there. I mean, it's, I mean, we know it was a bad service. And I remember, you know, even, and, and, you know, as you go through the Christian life and you're di- in different church traditions, there's certain indications that God was there, right? You know, was there a prophecy this week? A word of knowledge to somebody? Well, God was there. No prophecy? Oh, man, worship was, was weak, man. It was just dead this week. And then it, then it was Bible study. You know, you're in a Bible study or a small group, and, and if there wasn't some, like, incredible intellectual stimulation, like something that was, oh, wow, oh, man, what an insight. And, you know, oh, God was there, you know. But it was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. nothing dramatic happened. Oh, yeah. How was Bible? How was, did you meet God? Eh, not really, nothing really, you know. You know? Or, or even in worship, you know, if worship wasn't like, boom, you know, a home run, where I was emotionally, like, moved, you know, I'd say, they say, how was worship? I don't think God was there, you know. It just didn't happen. I had this measuring stick of how God was going to come, you know. And I don't know how, what, I, I had God, I've had God in many boxes through my life. Elijah has God in a box also. Happens very easily. And, um, you know, I don't know what yours is, but what's beautiful here is that God basically smashes his box. And God comes now in a sound of sheer silence. Now, there's a little story here about a, um, a king that God decided to, to show himself to a king and a peasant at the same time. Or, or, and, and he sends an angel to inform them of this blessing event. So he says to the king first, angel says, king, how would you like God to reveal himself to you? And the king says, well, as he's on his throne, surrounded by all of his you know, servants, he says, well, since I have majesty and power, I'd like to see God come in his majesty and power to me. So God granted his wish and instantly a bolt of lightning came and vaporized him and all of his court. <laughs> and uh, not even the dust remained. So the angel turns to the peasant and says, now, how would you like God to reveal himself to you? <laughs> and the peasant now thinks for a long while. And he finally says, well, I'm a poor man and I'm not worthy to see God face to face. But if it's God's will to reveal himself to me, let it be in those things with which I'm familiar. Let me see God in the earth that I plow, in the water that I drink, and in the food I eat. Let me see the presence of God in the face of my family, neighbors, and if God deems it good, may I even meet him in my own reflection as well. And God granted the peasant his wish, and the peasant lived a long and happy life. Now, we meet God in many different ways, don't we? I mean, I mean obviously, we, we meet God primarily through Scripture. I mean, His Word, He, he comes to us, and, and uh, we live by that Word, you know, that proceeds from the mouth of God and not by bread alone. And so, I mean, Scripture just speaks to us of God. I, and, you know, that, that's obviously number one there, revelation through which everything else is, is kind of like the authority out of which everything else is seen. But God also comes to us in, in visions, and dreams. I'm not a big vision dream. I don't get lots of them, you know. And and uh, but even the dreams I get, I rarely know what they mean. But we've got some dream interpreters floating around here. And and God comes in dreams and visions in, in, in scripture all the time. And then we've got God coming in, in in through human messengers. I mean, through teachings and books we read, and once in a while a sermon. You know, God comes and and uh, we hear Him speak. Uh, then we, God comes through small groups as we live in community and interact with each other. He speaks through people and. 
and touches us. And then he comes through all kinds of experiences we have. I was talking to someone at the first service. They had an incredible trial they're in, you know, but they know it's God disciplining them for they were in such rebellion. And God came after me because I know God is coming to me through this. And God comes through experiences and small events and, and uh, his, seed is all, his seeds are always coming into our heart to be planted. And then God comes to us, and of course, those the, in the ordinary, I mean, music and art and the face of a baby and, and nature. And I mean, everywhere we look, there are windows to, to hear and experience God, impressions and words and an inner voice, I mean, all these things. But you know what? What you want to hear today is that there's a way God comes that is really, that, that's, that's so powerful through Elijah's life, and that is God comes to us in the sound of sheer silence. And that's one of the great lessons of Elijah. God comes here and transforms him. I mean, he is a different, there would not be an Elijah without silence and solitude and that desert. And uh, God doesn't say to him, okay, Elijah, get back to work. God doesn't scold him. God doesn't discipline him because he's a mess right now. But in the middle of this chaos, God comes to him and and. He just experiences the presence of God, the mercy of God, communion with God. And like us, he experiences God's loving presence. And most of us, and I know it's like this for me, I don't know what's going on. I'm thinking, is this my imagination? Is this, is this, this working for me? I know it seems to work for other people, but am I nuts here, like in sheer silence, waiting on God? And, uh, but it takes time and experience to recognize God in that sound of sheer silence. And I like what happens to Elijah because there's a lot of chaos all around him with fire and wind and earthquakes. And even when he goes out to be with people, there's a lot of chaos. But when he gets silent and he gets in solitude in that desert, he experiences God and, he, and he's changed. He lets God's love wash over him and God's presence kind of drench him. You know, I know for me, there, there are verses where we hear things like, oh, God's love endures forever. His love is better than life. And, uh, but when I'm in silence and I let those words wash over me, oh, Lord, your love is better than life. Then, then it's like, that's Psalm 63, they actually mean something to me. We sang some incredible words during worship. It's like, oh my goodness, you washed my stains away. And, and, and it actually becomes like, oh, and it goes in you and begins to actually change you. It's a communion with God we're talking about here, the sheer silence. It's a communion with God that's deeper than words. It's being with God. We're talking about moving your prayer life from like, you know, you've got, you've got this list of all these things that got to get changed, all these people that got to shape up. You get, you know, you get people, okay, I'm out my time with God now. And you're listening, okay, change Jackie, change Joel, change William, you know. You know, and, and I got my, you know, 85 people on my list. But this coming to God in, in a sound of sheer silence is basically no agenda to be with the person of God to enjoy him and basically wait on him and be with him. And our, what happens is our control craziness and our false self begins to get ripped apart. And that's what, it gets torn apart so our authentic self of who we are in Christ can emerge. I like what Henry, Henry Nouwen said to this. He said, solitude is the place of conversion. 
the place where the old self dies and the new self is born. In solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding, no friends to talk to, no telephone calls to make, no meetings to attend, no music to entertain, no books to distract, just me. Naked, vulnerable, weak, sinful, deprived, broken, nothing. It is in this nothingness that I have to face in my solitude. A nothingness so dreadful that everything in me wants to run to my friends, run to my work, run to my distractions so I can forget my nothingness and make myself believe that I'm worth something. Now, here's this word for us. Pete, new life. I think in some ways, the past has been great. Your Christian life, wherever you've been in your journey spiritually, it's been good, right? You've gotten to where you are by God's mercy. But like for Elijah, it's over. And we'll talk about this more next week. It's over. Now, a part of the way God's going to come, I believe, to us, to you, to me, is he's going to come not in the big, not in the show, and not in the extraordinary. He's going to come in the desert. He's going to come in silence. He's going to come in solitude. He's going to come in obscurity and meet you and change you and cause you to become true to who he's called you to be. And that you too, like Elijah, will come out of that desert with truly something from God to give people. Do you understand? What do you have to give people? What do we have to give people? Medical clinics, legal clinics, after-school programs, clever, clever music. What we have to give people, friends, is God. That's all we've got. But I can't give God if I don't have God because I'm too distracted to even get to him. And there's a word from Elijah coming to us that God comes to us. Yes, he comes in many ways. He does. and They're all valid. But there is a way he comes to us in sheer silence that God wants to somehow Get, I, get into our lives, I believe, so we can go somewhere. That's why this series to me is so important, that this becomes a part of our foundational walk with God, so we can go to where God wants us to go, because we cannot engage the world without a rooted life. And so he lays hold of his true self, and he gets free. Now, the second thing happens here, and I, I'll just touch on this, because I can't build on it. Next week, we'll get to it in more full detail. God speaks to him, and God speaks to us in the sound of sheer silence. Now, it's, now, God comes a second time to him. And he's in this place. He's in silence. In verse th- 13, God says the second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he gives the same answer. Well, same thing. I've been very zealous. God, I've been working. He, I've been working hard for you. Those Israelites, they're all a bunch of bums. I'm the only Christian left, you know? And now everyone's trying to kill me. He's, he's got a very distorted perspective. And I just love it because he's, a, he's, as it says in James, he's just like me. He's just like you. I get, I get a great two, three days with God. I come back, I'm a mess. You would think I'm this holy man. I mean, Jerry and I went for this three-day retreat I mentioned last week. Great time with God. On the drive home, within an hour, we got lost in traffic. Got a bad phone call about another pipe breaking in my house. I'm just, I, I, another, kids called up with needs. I was so, within an hour, my wife looked at me and was like, who are you? I thought... Big man of God in silence and solitude. And it was true. I went all out the window. That's why I like Elijah. 
I mean, he just had this great experience with God, and he's still a mess. Isn't that like us? But God's still, God's, the God of Elijah is the true and living God. He's a God of grace. It's not a God who says, I love you, and I'll be with you, and I'll come to you, and I'll guide you if you keep my commandments, if you obey, if you pray enough, read the Bible enough, and do everything I say, then I'll come to you. But if you don't, you know what? I'm not coming to you. That's the God of Christianity is a God of grace. That's what every world religion says about who God is. That's not the true and the living God. That's Baal. The true God is a God of grace who loved you and me enough to come in the person of Jesus and die for us. And he treats us on pure grace. Otherwise, you know what? We're all going to be vaporized here. Okay, we're all done. We're doomed, all of us. But it's all grace. And God works with Elijah. I love that God comes. He works with Elijah, and he actually guides him here. And, and, he, and he tells him three things to do. And, and um, he says, I want you to, to, to anoint three people. This first fellow is a, a pagan king, which is a weird thing. And then he goes, anoint Jehu, which, you know, then Jehu's going to do something. Then he goes, anoint Elijah, who's going to succeed you. And, but, like, what, he's not asking for guidance, but he comes. So part of getting to God in silence and solitude is I'm not coming to God to get guidance. But yet it comes. My, my goal is not to hear from God in those five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes. I'm just, I'm here to be with God. And I wait on God. And, and sometimes God speaks, but sometimes he doesn't. But what's interesting, he doesn't tell Elijah what he'd like to hear. Now, I think Elijah would like to say, I'm going to kill Jezebel right now. We're going to get her. And I want you to go there, get a gun, and shoot her. You know, or I want you to tell so-and-so to shoot her or stab her, whatever they did in those days, you know. <laughs> but like with us, God does not do what he wants. Thank God he doesn't do what you want. A lot of people would probably be dead if he did. <laughs> but he gives them this instruction that's, first of all, it's odd, anoints a pagan king in another country, and actually the instructions he gives him are like going to take years and years to unfold. Like, it's not like, okay, next week do this, the second week do this, and the third week do this. It's like, yeah, go anoint these people, and that's it. And again, I, he's a man just like us. Uh, he, he actually follows it. I mean, if you look at Elijah from at the end of chapter 19... And, and then to verse 4 in chapter 19, where he wants to commit suicide, he's a different person because his silence and solitude has changed him. He's transformed by it. From depression and wanting to die, he now actually gets up and does what God asks joyfully. And you, if you read the rest of the book, he does some more great things and anoints Elijah, and we'll talk about that next week. But here's the great thing. God does speak to us out of silence and solitude. He comes to you, but the problem is, He's coming and speaking, but if you're like me, I'm not even listening. I don't have time to stop to listen because I'm moving. I'm on the move. I'm fixing. I'm making it happen. I'm solving the problems for God. I'm, I'm plotting to kill Jezebel in case God doesn't give that instruction. You know, I want to make sure, you know, God is good and God is loving, right? That, that's the key issue in guidance. Is God good? Can I trust him? Is God loving? Well, I hope so. Just in case he's not, I'll take care of this. I'll manage my life and run it in case God's not good. But Elijah has been silent and quiet enough to let go of controlling life. It's one of the great things that happens in silence and solitude. And then God can come and he gets back on track and it's absolutely beautiful. So there's great direction and there's great power that happens to all of us if we can just get there to that silence and solitude. We will eventually hear his voice. So here's what we're going to conclude here. Now, I don't know about you, but I need to stop and pause three, four times a day and do an office. 
part of my office, a big part of my office, is just being still. And, you know, these two, oh, yeah, and, try, and trying to get this in a world which is constantly knocking me out. But I've got to get to a desert of silence and solitude so I can just pause and hear him in the sheer silence or at least be aware of him so I can be aware of him when I'm in all my activity and my life doesn't feel so crazy. And uh, so here's like two verses that I use all the time, you know, and in repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength. I mean, it's really hard to find rest living in New York, isn't it? But I'll tell you, it's not easy to find rest in the middle of Idaho either or in a farm country of Kansas. It's a Western issue. It's very difficult. But in quietness and trust is strength. Don't we need strength to make it through the day? Where are you going to get it? And God says, you're going to find it in quietness. You're going to find it in trusting me and letting go. That's the word be still is let go of your grip in Hebrew. I love be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So if nothing happens, we're going to do five minutes right now. If nothing happens, you're just being still before the Lord. And you're waiting for him. What are you waiting for? The truth is, who knows? But you're just waiting for him. And whatever his unfolding is for your life and my life. And whatever he might want to say or prompt in you. But you're basically surrendering the depth of your being to God. That's why if you're in rebellion, it's very difficult to be still. If you know you're sinning and going against God, it's very hard to be still before him. But part of what we're going to do here, so I want to encourage you, whether it's you're just being, you're going to be humble, just say, I come humbly before you, or God, I surrender my life to you, or God, I worship you. You're just waiting in that place. It's been, it's been fantastic. So here's our ancient practice of silence and solitude. And if you were not here the last two weeks, here's the guidelines before we do our five minutes. All right? One, you're going to be attentive and open. Last week, you could fall asleep because that was the text. You cannot fall asleep today. We will wake you up in that five minutes. Number two, sit still. All right? Just try to sit still by God's grace. Thirdly, again, sit straight. No, you know, none of this. You know, just try to get straight so that you're, you know, you're not wiggling around. Get comfortable. Breathe slowly, deeply, naturally. And again, as I shared, for me... I get distracted like everybody else. You're not the only person that gets distracted and your mind is flooded with thoughts. Happens to all of us. But as we grow and mature in this, the distractions do lessen. But one of the ways I know my life is way too intense and too busy and overactive is when I can't stop my mind. It's just racing. So what I do is uh, when I, I, I use breathing, I, I just... Breathe in, you know, God, fill me. Spirit of God, fill me. God, all of my flesh and my rebellion, my own independence, apart from you, I breathe out of you. And it just helps me get back to God when my mind is wandering. Or I like this, I love the Jesus prayer, which comes out of the Orthodox Eastern tradition, which is, you know, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And I just pray, I get, and I'm lost, I'm thinking about the Yankees, or I'm thinking about, you know, fixing the car, oil change, all those things. My mind's going. You know, oh, Jerry asked me to pick up lettuce, and I'm supposed to be having this holy time with God. So I like, oh, Jesus, have mercy on me. And it kind of just gets me back. Oh, here I am back here. Because you find, end up floating off, and that helps me. So again, whatever helps you, you do it. But that helps me. And then just close or lower your eyes towards the ground, just so that you can, again, you're just waiting before the Lord 
and it helps ease distractions. Okay, so um, Elijah was a man just like us, just like you and me. So he went to the desert for long periods of time. Let's just try five minutes, all right, everybody? So number one, get attentive and open. Be sit still, sit straight, breathe slowly, deeply, naturally, closing your eyes. Now, let me repent before we begin. Last week, I was supposed to be watching the clock. And I know first service, we went six and a half minutes. So I missed it on that one. But I'm going to watch the clock this time, all right? Jerry said I'd pay if I did it again, you know? You said five minutes. Don't mess around. It's five minutes. So I'll watch the clock. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. You will survive. All right, now, get comfortable here. All right? You want to close your eyes. As we begin here, take a deep breath in, you know, Breathe out. Just relax. Let's be still and wait before the Lord. Amen. I saw Bruce Almighty. I think that was God on the phone. <laughs> All right, worship team, come on forward. And, uh, you know, I say if nothing else happens in silence and solitude, if you try this at home, Psalm 32, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. God promises that. I will. But he says, do not be like the horse or mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and brittle. Sometimes we're like horses and mules. And where God's got like, it was a horse, I beat the horse, get on track or pull that, you know, pull that horse by the brittle, you know, to get it on track. The Lord says, just, I think if nothing else happens, just to surrender your whole being to God and say, Lord, I'm here. My life is yours. Quite powerful. Let's all stand together. Amen. I want to invite the prayer teams to come forward here to the left. And as we close here, I want to just bless you as we leave. And, but I want to invite, uh, I want to invite you forward. Uh, of course, anybody can come for any reason to come to pray, you know, and come for prayer. And Veronica just shared how God met her through prayer and support of people. I think we all know in this room what it's like to be down and out, what it's like to be in a pit you can't get out of, <clears throat> and what it's to be like when you can't feel God or sense His presence of being a dark night of the soul. And what it's like when I just can't get, a, I can't get to the desert. I can't get to silence and solitude because my mind is just so full. But yet you know down deep that God's calling and is pulling you and is constantly pursuing you. That's the great God of Jesus, the great God of Christianity, the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our God. It's a God of grace. And I don't know where you are this morning, but uh, if you know you're, you're, at, you're not right. You're just not centered. You're not where God wants you to be. I want to invite you to come forward. We're going to close the service and come forward for prayer and let people pray for you. Let them anoint you with oil. Let God meet you there as God, Veronica just shared so beautifully and uh, let, let God restore you. Let God do for you what he did to Elijah and that's replenish you and help get you back on track. Okay, but I want to encourage you. Elijah was just like us. It's the great truth of the Bible. He's just like us ups and downs and all around. But he kept coming back. He kept coming back. And God met him. And God wants to meet you today, all right?
So don't rush out. We'll keep it quiet in here, and the worship team will continue to worship, and Peter will lead us. And uh, we can talk outside and get coffee downstairs and mingle and all that. But let's keep it in here, quiet. And prayer time up here to the left and, uh, and worship. All right? Okay, let's all bow as... And some of you know, you, you can sense God speaking to you, the depth of your being and, and, and in a sense speaking to you and calling you to himself and to surrender, to not be proud or stubborn, to not worry about what other people are going to think and how it's all going to unfold if you respond to God right now. You want to hear his voice for you now and say, yes, Lord. Yes, and so for you, some of you, it may be to become a Christian today and surrender your life to Christ. For others, it's just taking, you are a Christian, it's, it's, it's turning around to go back towards the Lord, even though you've made a mess of things. But a God of grace loves you, and Jesus died for that stain too and wants to wash it clean. And he's got a future for you and a plan for you and something wonderful for your life is not wrecked. And so you come and let the Lord touch you. And so, Father, I speak a blessing over this place as we go. That, Lord, you'd remove all the chains around our hearts, all the icicles, Lord, the coldness that keeps us from allowing your warmth to fill us and touch us. That we might experience your love and your mercy this morning. God, I pray you'd open up our ears. Touch our eyes that we might see you. And may we be good soil here, Lord. So may the blessings of the Spirit of God, may the power of God, may the anointing of the Spirit fall upon you. That you may take the next step that the Lord has for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.